Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello there and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. I am Rob Howe, joined by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. It is Thursday, October the 19th, a little bit before 9.15 a.m. Central Time. And... uh your Hawkeyes are six and one after a 15 to six win in Madison against Wisconsin last week. Back in the rankings, driver's seat for the Big Ten West. Scott, what could go wrong? <laughs> Just about everything. Um, this is uh, it's an know. uncomfortable comfort, isn't it? Yeah. It's an un- it's it, this is uncomfortable being comfortable. Yeah, I don't think there's ever there certainly hasn't been a comfortable feeling with this team for a long time. And and based on uh, the injuries that just continue to pile up, it's hard to really get a feel that this is going to be easy. There's just nothing easy. You know, team, the, we all know the, what the Big Ten West is all about, which is a lot of a lot of nothing. But at the same time, if, if Iowa had a good team, you'd say, oh, shoot, man, they're going to roll. They might have one semi-tough game. But but looking at the schedule, even the, every single team on the schedule could beat Iowa. That said, I think Iowa could beat every single team on the schedule decisively if it plays mistake-free football. But that's a lot to ask. And uh, but but that said, you know, you know what, Rob, they're six and one. They may be an ugly six and one, but they're six and one. They're bowl eligible. They continue to baffle people because of the way that they battle through adversity. And it, it doesn't matter what is going on with the program inside, outside injuries, depletions, whatever. They get it done. <laughs> and that's, I think, something that more people need to admire, I think, even though, yeah, you can kind of make fun of the offense all you want, but you got to admire the fact that they're winning. I think P.J. Fleck admires it. I don't think he likes it, but I think mm-hmm. he admires it. And he talked about the, that this week, and we've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast and written about it ad nauseum through the years. The complimentary football and P.J. Fleck talking about People view it as you're really good on offense, defense, and special teams. So that's not always the case, and it usually isn't the case. There's usually phases that are ahead of the others. And 
to Iowa's credit, and again, we've talked about this, that self-awareness of knowing what it needs to win football games. And it's in a position right now where it's going to be favored to win each of these last five games. Most likely, you never know, things change, but most likely favored to win these last five games. Um, And that's in large part because it's figured out how it needs to win football games. Now, as Scott said, that continues to change because I think it was obvious the last two weeks, Scott, that uh, Eric all was uh, the, the offense He uh, outside of the running game. He was mm-hmm. the passing offense. Uh, Deacon Hill looked to him, threw it to him. I mean, he was the guy and now he's gone, unfortunately. And hopefully like the rest of the guys, Luke and Cade and everybody else who's had season ending injuries, hopefully quick recovery and hopefully, um, whether it's the NFL or coming back here next year, uh, things work out well for those guys. But um, the offense is just as bad as it's been, Scott, statistically and visually. Uh, it's really compromised now. Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, really, when you think about it, the, the last time it was this compromised and, and in this position was probably 2004. It was the other way around. And, and frankly, you had a sophomore quarterback trying to, to navigate it, but they gave him a lot more freedom to, to go ahead and do some of that stuff. Whereas now you look at, I mean, it's all running game. It has to be running game and it's getting better and they're getting better at it. And I think that's, that's the important thing, but you know, uh, you you got to move the ball through the air at some point, you know, and this today is that, you know, unless you're doing something, you know, uh, wishbone, you know, some sort of, zone read that the, the the other team struggles to defend. I mean, it's just, you know, but they're doing it, you know, they're, they're getting, you know, and yes, they're not, their competition has not been great other than Penn state. So I think this is a, but so what they're playing the schedule that they're dealt with and they're winning these games. And last week, 200 yards against Wisconsin, uh, the most since Sean green was there. Um, yeah, there was one big long run, but they still had more rushing yards. If you take that away, than what Wisconsin had all game long. That's impressive. And so, therefore, here you are. And it's going to be a grind, man. It's going to be every – there's going to be a couple of games here, Rob, where we're going to – it's going to come all the way down to the wire. And it could be Drew Stevens making a field goal or it could be the opponent making or missing a field goal. But And it may even be this weekend. But it, it's, it's not going to be boring other than watching incomplete passes. The flying Willendas walking the tightrope. That's what <laughs> Iowa football is. Yeah. Just don't slip because yeah. that's that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a slip. But you talked about it last week, Scott. And um, with the win at Wisconsin, Iowa essentially is needs to lose two games unless Wisconsin could somehow beat Ohio State, which we don't see happening. But Iowa would have to lose two of these five games to give Wisconsin a chance. Now, Minnesota at one and two, if it beats Iowa, they would be tied at two and two, and then that would change things a little bit. But uh, Minnesota's got that pesky game in Columbus next (laughs) month. So this is really – it would be beyond disappointing if Iowa doesn't win the West with where it sits right now. But, again – compromised greatly on offense the good news is as good as the defense has been 
it's ascending and has a chance to be even better moving forward. If you can get the offense just to a place where it can run the ball a little bit and maintain some drives and keep the defense off the field and not screw it up. I know people will boo and fire Brian Ferentz is probably coming Saturday when it's run, 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 passing the flat punt from deep in their own end. But be prepared for it, people. Don't act like that's a surprise. What you've seen from Iowa so far is the formula to win this season with this team. So I guess embrace it or continue to complain and beat your head against the wall. Sure. And there's going to be complainers. There are complainers. I mean, you go to any story I write on The Athletic and then there are people. It's on your stories are tragic i just sometimes i just like i can't even read it you know because you know it it started today i wrote about tight end you how iowa became nfl's tight end you and how uh, you look at the last five years iowa's tight ends have almost double the production of the next two tight end U's, miami and notre dame over the last five years and it's going to get it's going to grow even more once laporta you know he continues his trend and everything and then half the the comments are about Brian Ferentz. It's just like, you know, you just can't escape this and okay, fine. You know, be, you know, you're not going to be happy until he's gone. You're not gonna be happy until Kirk's gone. And then, then we'll see if you're right and everybody else is wrong. But, uh, but I think overall, when you get back to your statement about complimentary football, that's what it's all about for Kirk. It always has been just win the game. It doesn't matter how it looks, how it views, how it plays. Um, it frustrates us, no question. But if they, you know, if they win 14 to 13, they'll take it. It's a win. Move on. And if they don't win, then, you know, well, you know, we're certainly disappointed in the outcome of the game. I thought our team played hard and I thought they, you know, we've got to go back and correct some things and and we're not going to surrender. We'll be back. You know, that's pretty much, you know, it's got, it's like the Eisenhower speech after D-Day, if it it didn't work out, you know, Uh, (laughs) but uh, you know, I I think ultimately, I think fans have to make a decision here for the next five games. Are are you going to, are you going to be fans of Iowa for the next five games, maybe six, you know, well, six for sure. And if not seven, or are you just going to complain about it? Because you only get the season for a very short period of time. It's going to be over in a month and a half at most. And then, then you can tee off. Iowa needs to fire Brian Ferentz, you know, yes. whatever. It's a but, discussion for after this season right now, because there's nothing you can do right now. Yeah. You're not get, what's firing Brian Ferentz going to do right now. Yeah. At this point, nothing, you know, and the, the quarterback question, um, we all have it. They're not going to change it. And so me complaining about it, me writing about it, you know, which I have and asking about it, which Kirk brought up on his show last night, it, it doesn't matter. That's the way they're going to do it. So it's like, okay, well, you're just going to have to live with it. And it's frustrating. It's not fun, but winning is more fun. <laughs> so, you know, I've seen some good shootouts that have not gone their way or other people's way. And you know what? You'd rather win than, than lose pretty. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're an Iowa fan and you care about winning and that's the objective and that's what you're there for. And, you know, 
if you throw out that it's going to be aesthetically pleasing, if you're an offensive football fan, it's it's fun to watch the defense and special teams operate. We'll get to Tory Taylor in a bit here, but um, just I, embrace it. Embrace that people are pissed off at your team. Embrace that people don't make fun of your team for winning the way that it wins and just have the last laugh. Just laugh back and say, eh, whatever. You can make fun of us. You can disparage us. It really doesn't matter. We're going to win the division. We're going to go to the Big Ten championship game, whether you people like it or not. Yeah, exactly. It was like uh, the Buffalo Bills were that way when they got to year four. <laughs> yeah. They're like, we know none of you want us here. And, of course, we saw the reason why. But, but it was like, so what? We don't care. We're going to go there. And, um, you know, I, I compared Iowa right now to, to one-armed boxer that, yeah, we know eventually when they, when they go to the heavyweight championship, they're going to lose. But until then, are you going to appreciate the fact that a one-armed boxer keeps beating everybody and, and still has an opportunity to win all these matches to get to the championship match? Or are you just going to worry about the ending? You know, we, we know what's probably waiting for them in, de- in December. That would be the ultimate Kirk Ferentz upset win. Possible? Yes. Probable? Absolutely not. Don't worry about what happens when they play Michigan in December. Worry about Minnesota. Worry about winning these games. And if they ultimately go 11-1 and one and then lose in Indianapolis, but you know what? you got to salute this team. This is, you know, defensive-wise – probably the least talented since 2019. Um, we know how limited they are offensively. They haven't been this limited ever. You know, last year was bad, but this year is, um, at least in the passing game, monstrous. <laughs> you know, it's bad news. But you know what? They're finding ways to win. They don't care what anybody thinks except themselves. I think it's it's admirable. You know, they, they, can, they could not care less what I think, you think, anybody thinks except for the people in there. And they're going to support one another. And the other factor is uh, through this, the first 15 minutes or whatever of us talking, I, I'll take ownership. I have completely underestimated their running game. It is good. And it's getting better. And the better it gets, the more that they can handle, you know, some – mediocre well below mediocre play out of the passing attack yeah and I think I probably should give props to the offensive line I've been critical of them uh still continuing to struggle with consistency as it did you know as it did earlier in the season but I think it's starting to figure it out a little bit I think um the continuity and chemistry up there is getting better which is key um they're starting to figure out what works um, as a, on the offense as a whole with those running plays. I've never been one, Scott, to say, and, and I know you said this earlier, and it's not something that you subscribe to either, but hey, you take the 82-yard run out, and then what do you have? You take yeah. Caleb Johnson's 60-some yarder out against Purdue, yeah. and what, you don't take those. Those are home runs, man. Those, yeah. are, those are three-run shots. Those mm-hmm. are big plays, and that's part of it. If you can – you know, and it's not just those. They're getting some nice chunk plays in the running game that should be commended. And the offensive line is a big reason for that. And I think we see the value of what was missing with Caleb Johnson being out. And it it almost seems like with Caleb there, um, Leeshawn kind of settles in a little bit more and and feeds off of that competition. You know, with those two guys, um, you know, competing it with each other together to work together to get yardage. But 
I'm just not sure what can be utilized here in this passing game. When you look at this, Scott, now you're down to Steven Stilianos, Estrenga if he's healthy, um, Johnny Pascuzzi, Jacuzzi. Um, tight end is far from where it was at the beginning of the season. You still have all the receivers you started with, though. You got to find a way. I mean, mm-hmm. you just you, you have to find a way. 37 passing yards against Wisconsin, no completions to the receivers against Purdue. I, I know things aren't going well, but if you're running the football, there have to be some things available in the passing game. There needs to be some play action opportunities. There just has to be. You can't, you can't constant. I mean, you know, granted, the easiest thing to do is run the football if you're good at it. And, and that I wouldn't, they were, will not, you know, evacuate from that. They no, will continue. Should and then they. They, nor should they. However, if you run the ball, let's say four straight plays and you pick up 22 yards, the next play, those linebackers are going to take a step forward. The safety is going to take a step down. They're going to leave these wide receivers on island because the receivers haven't proven they can do anything. Well, that's the time to go hit the home run, and that's probably where Deacon Hill is most effective is he does have a really strong arm. Now he's got to be accurate with it, yeah, and, you know, and he's not accurate. But he's shown he can, he can do it once in a while, and, and I think this is where – the wide receivers may be a bigger part of this game going forward because as the running game improves, I mean, everybody's going to try to stop the run. They're going to have nine in the box, you know, for the most part, because they're not even going to be scared of their tight ends, but there you go. There's your chance. One-on-one it's disrespectful to the receiver go out and, and give them a couple of plays a game. And if they can hit those chunk plays. And I I think that's probably more likely than short yardage because I just don't, I just don't know that they're that they have the passer to do it. That <laughs> think he's, you know, maybe if it's wide open, but uh, but if they can hit a couple of chunk plays to comp, you know, to complement the the running game, they can uh, they can make the opponents pay. But you know, with this matchup in particular, there's one player that can beat you on defense, and that's about it. The rest of them are are okay players. I would submit, Scott. I think Iowa has good receivers at running back. Um, and I think that might be an avenue too. Um, sorry, some swing passes, um, some short short game for Deacon Hill, maybe to get himself going a little bit. You know, there's mm-hmm. eight, nine in the box. They're waiting for the run. Little fake, little motion, something like that swing it, get it into space to maybe if Jazz Patterson is back, that's how you start to get him mm-hmm. and you're able to play three running backs. Uh, I think it was Jovan or Jordan Kanzari or both suggested having multiple, two of, or, of those guys on the field at the same time, whether it be, you know, Jazz and Caleb or Leishon or however you want to configure it. But maybe that's an avenue to maybe um, establish something offensively. Yeah, you're right. Because it just seems like they want to go five wide if they if they incorporate the running back in the game, and that's spreads them out, but doesn't really do much because it doesn't really allow for a safety valve. It doesn't allow for that fire, fire when there's a blitzer maybe coming off the opposite side and you got a hot read with the running back. You know they're already out wide. They're probably the fifth option. You know, Terrell Washington was in that role for a little while, and now I think it's more uh, Lee Sean Williams. 
um, you know, I think they're both right. Obviously, I think you know if you if you were to have two running backs, legit running backs in the backfield available, but you know, one thing that concerns me is um, Deacon's been pretty rough on hitting short passes like that. You know, last week got him a couple of them knocked down. Um, you know, so it's like all these things makes it Marvin McNutt. Of course, I talked to him on Monday and he's beside himself with the passing game, as you can imagine. But, you know, he's just like, you know, where's the quick game? These guys are off nine ball, nine yards on these receivers. And I'm like, cause I don't know that they think he's accurate enough to hit those, you know? And then you lean into the, well, why not Joe Labus? And, you know, I think Kirk shut the door pretty quickly on that. Um, I don't know if, you know, he's, I don't know if it was the right thing to say, but it was. Um, so it, it's really going to just be what can they do to make it work? And I don't know. I, I would say this, though. I would say let's eliminate the middle screen. I don't think it works anymore. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Um, I noticed with Deacon, he's concerned with his footwork, and it looks like he's getting that. I was kind of watching the other day, and it looks like he's getting more comfortable with his feet. He just has a really long, pronounced motion. And Mm -hmm. you notice a couple – that allows the defensive linemen to get their hands up. And he's had passes batted down because I think the the motion is so long and pronounced that gives the defenders a chance to react. Um, And with the – you know, with the inaccuracies on – inaccuracies – inaccuracies on top of that, it makes it that much more difficult to complete passes. Yeah. It's sad. It's uh, it, he, his release is not Dan Marino. Like, you know, let's put that <laughs> you know, so I think what you do is you, that's why it, that's why what's best for him is if he gets some sort of a max protect, right. then you can fire it down the field. And a lot of times if it's one-on-one coverage, then, you know, you're allowing your player to make a play on the ball, which Eric all was able to do. Luke, the chase certainly would be able to do the rest of them. I don't know. And uh, can Deontay vines do it? I think so. You know, what about Seth Anderson? Yes. I think he's, I, I think they're, he's grossly underutilized. And I think in the short game, you know, Nico alligator armed one last week, which I, I kind of understand, but it's still unacceptable. Way too many uh, drops this year yeah, overall. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, you can be critical of the quarterbacks, but the wide receivers have some ownership in this as well. Absolutely. So, you know, there, there are all kinds of holes and, and there, you can't just spackle over them, <laughs> you know, because if Cade McNamara was in there, then you can legitimately say certain things work, certain things don't work. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. You know, and they've had injuries of running back too. I mean, they've yeah. been down to, to, to one real guy. And, and so it's, you know, the fact that they just keep winning is just so surprising with this, but they manage to do it. They do it with a, a defense that's getting better. Um, but I think the running game is there, you know, if they can continue to do this. I, I just wonder right now, Rob, at tight end, will they uh, put like a backup, you know, give them a, an 80 number or a 90 number to make him a, you know, like a Jack Dotsler or somebody like that to make him a, a blocking tight end. Cause I think that's probably the best route right now. We saw that last that's week. The, uh, that's called the Woody Orn. 
by the way. Yeah, yeah. Woody Orn did it. Um, Ike Bucker did it. Ike Bucker. <laughs> you, know, you know, and and it makes sense. I mean, the NFL players do that. You know, Riley Reef started it that way at yeah. Detroit way back when. Um, Matt Nelson even mm-hmm. um, has done it, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you can go in and raise your hand and say, "Hey, I'm a." Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going in and, and then they can announce number 71 is now an eligible receiver, you know. Uh, but for like Jack Dotsler, let's say, you know, this is his way to get some action. You play that position. Um, and we saw it last week, probably if there was one play that I went WTF, it was when Zach Ortworth, you know, true freshman seeing his first real action other than a goal line play and, you know, against Purdue is, um, you know, out there trying to block a senior linebacker on a fourth and five with uh, Nico Ragaini running a, a reverse or whatever. And it's like, uh, I would not put a true freshman in that position. And they did. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? You know, why, why, why would you have even Hayden Large doing that? You know, but I, I think that in some ways is probably the best bet for them is, Get a get a backup offensive lineman that's probably not going to move to, you know, if there's an injury or something is not going to be in the game and, and have him play. That get some snaps, make some blocks, uh, probably play the way they're going, 15 plays a game. But I think that's the way to go. Wouldn't be an Iowa Wisconsin football game without a head scratching player too from Iowa's offense. You're <laughs> just like, what in the hell was yeah. that? And uh, we certainly got that on the play that. Scott just described. Now, you've alluded to it a few times, Scott, and I want to talk about it a little bit more. Um, the the quarterback conversation and the, the – I don't, I don't know how you would even frame it, but you go back to, you know, what, do, what Kirk said about Deuce at Nebraska. And then you had Brian Ferentz with what's the upside yeah. with Alex Padilla. And now – Joey Labe is pretty much getting the door shut in his face the other day with Kirk. I just, I, I don't know what the upside is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's a more, and it, you know, if we always want honesty and candidness when we're journalists from the people that we cover. And I appreciate that, but it just seems like these situations could have been avoided, should have been avoided. Um, I don't know. Is there a pattern here? Is this something that um, I don't want to say is concerning, but something that because uh, those guys hear that. I mean, Deuce obviously heard that. Padilla heard it, and I'm sure Joey Labus right now is not feeling great about what's being said about him. So I, I just it, it's confusing to me because Kirk and his coaches are usually so supportive of players that uh, I don't know if it's just them being feeling like they're backed in a corner and they need to defend who they're starting. Um, I don't know your thoughts. I guess, you know, they're all a little bit different. Um, You know, the deuce one was kind of off the cuff, tongue in cheek, kind of a laugher type thing that wasn't funny to a person who really felt like he'd been robbed of an opportunity so that was one that I, you know, it was an emotional reaction to him. Kirk felt bad. It was stupid for him to say it and he admitted it and he was right. Um, I would say ultimately he's probably proven right, um, which is a real shame because I know Deuce was 
very much hyped, maybe as hyped as any quarterback recruit that we can remember. But, um, you know, he brought up Padilla, you know, um, and Petrus. I'd heard a lot of the same stuff, you know, last year that, and then, you know, and learning some more after the season, it was like, okay, I get it. Cause you know, what we saw, he didn't help with protections, you know, like the, the ultimate play that everybody looks at it and blames Jack Plum for, which was he, you know, looked inside the, 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 the Nebraska defender went right around him and, and sacked Padilla. That was on Padilla. He called it. He called the protection of the line of scrimmage for him to look inside and then voila. And he, he really didn't, wasn't successful either. And, you know, there was a lot of questions about the way he spent the amount of time he maybe spent with the offense, learning it and perfecting it. And then this one, um, I think it's, is really kind of silly because I don't know how much worse you can get as a quarterback and still keep your job. I think, this is the only program in America that you can complete 27 to 70 um, and still be the starting quarterback. But what happens if he gets hurt? I mean, is, is this going to be kind of like uh, Bud Kilmer and Johnny Moxon, you know, all behind <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> I, you know, and, and Joey Labus goes out there and slings it around. And, um, you know, now from what I hear, you know, Joe Labus kind of does his own thing um, when he's out there and, and which doesn't really hurt because you kind of want that sometimes with the quarterback, but but use some creativity right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They get out of the Iowa offense, but but he also has a propensity to make a lot of mistakes, you know, throwing interceptions in practice and that sort of thing. Now he didn't do it when he was out there. He had a better game against Kentucky than than Kate, you know, probably Kate and um, Deacon have had this year. Um, but I, I don't like Brian said. What's the upside? You know, I don't see it, you know, because I don't see him ever making those kind of comments about any other position besides quarterback. And that's really kind of perplexing. It's I don't know. And I'm not going to try to get into the psyche of why those comments have been made about that position. Um, But it's a position that you would think you would want to um, build everybody up and just, you know, because like you said, you never know. Joe Wavis may be in there next week with the injuries, rash of injuries we've seen on Iowa's offense this year. And I think you have to know the questions coming. It's a fair question when you have a quarterback who didn't complete a pass to a receiver and threw for 37 yards in the next week. I think it's a very fair question to ask, what else do you have at quarterback? And Maybe say, you know, Joe missed, and I and I know maybe they get tired of repeating themselves, but you know, Joe missed a lot of spring camp or summer camp. You know, Deacons worked a lot with the first team offense as a result of Cade being out. That's where we feel we're comfortable right now. We think Deacon's going to continue to improve as he gets more reps. We hope Joey improves now that he's getting more reps, you know, because Labus really hasn't had a lot of first team reps other Mm -hmm. than bowl prep. So how prepared is he to go in there? Um, As you said, he's the gunslinger type that's going to go in there and make mistakes with the way you're set up right now. And we started this podcast at the top talking about complimentary football and defense and special teams leaning on them using an offense with a running game that doesn't make mistakes, that doesn't hurt your defense and special teams. Do you want to put a quarterback in there that 
potentially is going to make mistakes and help the other team, help the other team's offense. That doesn't make sense to me. So I get it. It's just, why drag the kid? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm there with you. And it's it's a shame because, I mean, now now we see the writing on the wall. I mean, the, the yeah, day the portal is the open. Yeah. <laughs> the, day, the day the portal's open, he's gone. You yep. know, and I don't, I don't blame him. Um, you know, which again, and then what? What happens to the bowl game? You know, then you're down to to Marco being number two, and I'm not so sure that he shouldn't be. They shouldn't be taking a good look at him any, either at this point. You know, because you know, and, and this is the frustrating thing. I mean, we're we're he's trying to justify a quarterback that has really, really struggled. I mean, these are 1960s numbers. You know, bad 1960s numbers and. And last night on his radio show, he's like, well, somebody asked me in the press conference to start bringing up those numbers. And I didn't know what those numbers were, but I can tell you what the number that really matters the most is he didn't have a turnover the other day. Well, he had to fumble that he almost lost. And he had some passes knocked down and one that wasn't, that, that was very close that had to be reviewed as to whether or not it was interception in their own territory as well. Um, those are some near misses. So I'd be careful about trying to, to pat your own back. Did you, you know? hit him with numbers? <laughs> Is that, yeah. Was he referring to you? Yeah. What did you bring I, up? I said, um, you know, and I go, I don't, you don't really care about statistics very much, but your quarterback's 27 to 70 right now, you know, and then I, I brought up Joe Labus and that's what kind of set it all off. And um, 27 to 70, Rob. I mean, you know, we're talking before the season, you know, that 60% is, is a number that they want to hit. And, you know, that Cade McNamara was 64% two years ago at, at Michigan. As a team, they're, they're just, they're going to be below 50. I mean, you're talking about the Mendoza line in baseball. This is like one, you know, batting like 120. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's really not, it, it's, it's. Epically you know, bad. Yeah. So, you know, if, to me, I think if you look at this path and you go, Joe, you know, that the Deacon doesn't turn the ball over and that's his only benefit. Well, that's pretty hard to say when you're an offensive guy, you know, that's, you know, you're, you're asking your offensive player, you know, whatever you do, don't turn the ball over. Well, that's, that doesn't work very well. That's like, you know, don't, whatever you do, don't shoot the ball because you might miss. I'm mixing a whole kind of metaphors here, but. And, don't but then, swing. Don't yeah, swing don't at swing. that pitch. Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, hopefully it hits you, you know, maybe, maybe lean, a walk. Lean in there like a uh, coach. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Off the noggin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, Roger Dorn in uh, major league uh, too. Uh, but, and then, but then I look at it like this, that, and, and I'm not advocate. I normally wouldn't advocate for a true freshman, but what have you got to lose at this point? Why not make him number two? If Labus is not obviously. Yeah, what's the upside? Well, the upside is he might be better. <laughs> a completed you know? pass. Yeah. Completed I mean, passes. Here's the thing, Scott. I think you settle in and you, in your mind, you're thinking, okay, defense special teams really good. We can win yeah. the remaining games leaning on those two. So we're going to put the quarterback in there that protects the football the best. Well, what happens if you get behind by 10 points? Mm-hmm. What happens if you're down two touchdowns? Yeah. Now it's not a matter of if that quarterback turns the ball over. He's got to make plays. He's got to complete passes. He's got to score points. Then what happens? Is Labus or Lene's more capable of that? Yeah. 
That I do not know because we haven't seen it. Yeah. You know, and we may not, you know, and the thing is they, all they want, they could say, well, we haven't seen, we haven't seen this in practice. We haven't seen this, but ultimately this is the game. The game stats are what matters. Nobody cares what happens in practice. I mean, we used to hear that about, you know, in basketball, you know, Fran would talk about how somebody shot in practice and then, you know, I'm not going to say who it is, but then you struggle a lot during games and you're like, so what? You know, practice all stars. Yeah, exactly. And, and in this case, it's like, (laughs) you know, and, and again, I I get the complimentary football. Absolutely. I buy into that for Iowa, even when they're good at at certain times um, offensively, but to, to, to suggest that the only thing the offense can do is screw it up. Yeah. You're, you're playing not to lose. And at some point that means one play can get you beat Rob. That means one big, Pass play, you know, we saw it last week. I mean, the best defender on the team, Cooper DeGene, got beat for a 40-yard gain. Um, one big pass play, one big run play, one big return, you know, one blocked punt, you know, one fumble, like, against Michigan State, you know, that type of thing. It, it's just, I think at this point, you just go, you know, you, you've got to take a step forward. And, you know, if, if maybe it's Deacon Hill, maybe he is, maybe he'll go 10 of 14. And then you're, you know, and, and eight of those passes are to, to receptions are by wide receivers, which would be, you know, they'll set off the fireworks for Saturday night, but, you know, <laughs> um, but if, if it isn't, I, in order to get to that destination, you might want to think, rethink some things during the bye week Of course, do I expect that? Absolutely not. They are some of the greatest strengths are their biggest weaknesses. Their stubbornness has been very much a reason why that they've been successful. It's also a reason why that they haven't really been a championship, a big 10 championship team program. Definitely caps your season or caps your ceiling. I should say, no Mm -hmm. doubt about that. Um, Good time to take a break here, Scott. We'll dive into some Minnesota after the break and then do our picks as well. But I want to let folks know that support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That is S-U-I. Thank you to Systems Unlimited for over a half century of valuable work in the community, and we appreciate them supporting the podcast. Let's hear from a few more sponsors, and Scott and I will be back on the other side of this short break. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400 4483. 400 4483. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Milwaukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. 
Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. We're back. Thank you to our sponsors. We appreciate their support of the podcast. You can find a fresh Hawkeye-centric pod on our feed pretty much daily during the football season. Excuse me. We've moved the Rapid Reaction podcast to Sunday mornings because of all the later games that Iowa football players are playing. It's tougher for Jovan and Jordan Canzeri to uh to line up on east coast time to do the later podcast so we've gotten to about 11 a.m central time on sunday morning so if you're looking for that on saturday you can find it on sunday morning scott uh this is not a good minnesota team uh coming off a bye week got pounded by michigan a few weeks ago uh statistically not very good uh in actual play not very good one and two in the league um minnesota normally uh, like Iowa likes to lead on defense and running game, the Gophers are currently 74th in scoring defense. And granted, the the 52 that Michigan put on them certainly uh, swayed that some. But uh, um, so you've got, you know, we talked a lot about Iowa having, a, you know, what what it can do offensively. This certainly is a defense uh, that could open up some opportunities for Iowa to do some things offensively should it choose uh, to do so. Um, and Minnesota just doesn't have the receivers it's normally had. The quarterback has not developed, I think, the way they wanted to. And the offensive line uh, lost firepower as well. So um, this is not a one of those. He's had good teams up there that I thought, all right, this, Iowa, you know, this this is a dangerous game for Iowa. I don't see this here. It may end up being different uh, than that, but I just it's not a good Minnesota team. Yeah, I think even the last two years, they would have been much better, you know, against they, – they, if they would have brought the team that they had last year to, to Kinnick, they're going to win. And yep. two years ago, the one that they brought to Kinnick, and they probably should have won, they had 40, 40 minutes of time of possession and still yep. lost. It's just unreal to think about. I mean, offensively, um, the most disappointing player in the Big Ten this year so far has been Brevin Spanford. He's just not been very good. Yeah, I was and, shocked when I looked at their notes yesterday. Yeah. I'm like, really? Is he hurt? No, yeah. not hurt, just not producing. Yeah, and, you know, is that because of the quarterback? Maybe, but just really a surprise because I looked at him as kind of a Noah Fant. I thought he was really a great athlete with a lot of potential and just hasn't lived up to it, and that's been a, a shame. I, I mean, they've got a really good left tackle, and it's going to be a tough matchup, whether it's Joe Evans or for – um, Deontay Craig or whoever goes in there and, and plays that role. Although, you know, the, there's something I like about Ethan Herkett, man, that guy doesn't give up at all. Um, n- one other thing though, is Darius Taylor, their true freshman running back, who's been hurt in this last couple of games. It's iffy right now. I and mean, it sounds like it's leaning towards playing. If he plays, that's a difference maker in the backfield. That's, he visited here a couple times. Iowa yeah. really wanted him. Yeah, I can see why. He's he's legit. So, you know, the, the question is, you know, what about Callie McManus? And, you know, he's 6 of 6, 
you know, six touchdowns, six interceptions, 55%, you know, just kind of a blah, you know, he's decent runner, but not great. You know, so he's just had an average to below average season thus far, but you know, then, then again, you know, it's, it's like, I'm judging him on his numbers, not against us, against Iowa numbers. Yeah. Then, then he looks like, Hey, this guy should be first team all big 10, but um, you know, but his numbers are, are when he's rushed, he's really bad. And, and I think that's probably what Iowa will try to do is get to him in some way, shape or form. And that could be with blitzes because they really blitz the hell out of, uh, Braden Locke in the la- in the second half last week, and and that might be the way to do it. You know, if you can stop the run before it gets started, and then also, you know, be able to 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 force him to make a mistake, then that's when you can really take advantage of it. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, he does; he can move a little bit. He can run a little bit too. So you have to be cognizant of shutting down his running lanes as well. Uh, I wouldn't say he's you know somebody that's going to torch you with his legs, but he can keep plays alive and, and certainly pick up yards on the ground if he sees the opening. So that's something to be cognizant of as well. Um, from a defensive standpoint, Scott, um, drop off here for Minnesota. They've obviously been really good under uh, on, on Fleck on defense. A lot of guys in the NFL, good players. Um, Newbin's really good. Um, mm, yes, absolutely. He's, he's a stud, but not a lot of star power elsewhere on, on this defense. Yeah, they they really lost a lot of players from the past, and they just don't – they're just not getting to the quarterback, they're not disrupting the quarterback, and then they're just not really affecting the opponent very much. Um, you know, the first game notwithstanding against Nebraska where I thought, okay, maybe this defense is back, you know, they're going to be good, but – course we see that nebraska's offense is almost as challenged as iowa's and then it's like okay i get it but um but newbin is the guy you got to stay away from and that means deacon hill do not throw it if 27 is there don't throw it he will ruin your day um he's that good he's an nfl guy he's antoine winfield take your pick out of all their great players they've had lately the rest of them pedestrian and i think they can run on them and that wasn't necessarily the case last year they used tight end early, and then Sam Laporta got hurt, which was really a shame for them for going into that final game against Nebraska. But um, I think overall that this is a team that Iowa is very capable of hitting a couple of big plays, you know, through the passing game, kind of like kind of like the game two years ago, Rob, on that side of the ball, where um, when Alex Padilla started, he was only like six of seventeen or something. He was, but. He also maybe it was eleven to twenty four. I get my games mixed up <laughs> that season, but you know he also hit what uh, Charlie Jones on a big pass play, and then Keegan Johnson. Man, what they wouldn't do for one of those two guys, but uh, on another one. So I, I think this is a unit that Iowa <laughs> unit a unit um, <laughs> Iowa could uh, could take advantage of in a, in a big way. Um, if, if they can run, I mean, we know what they're going to do. They're going to stack the box. So it might just be, you know, if they can, if they can handle the line of scrimmage, it, it shouldn't be, it, it shouldn't be really that close, but then again, what, what will Iowa's offense do? How, you know, or are there going to be mistakes? There haven't, there haven't been significant mistakes for a couple of weeks. So that kind of runs its course once in a while. 
Good kickers in this game, Scott. They're good <laughs> kickers. So if it comes down to field goals, um, both teams very well equipped in that area. Is it Dragon Kessick or Kessich? Kessick <laughs> or Kessich? He's 10 of 11 uh, this year, um, two for three from 50 and beyond. So, and we know what Drew Stevens can do. So yeah. uh, keep an eye on that. You always got to pay attention to special teams. Uh, and that leads me into uh, the MVP of Iowa to date this season, Tory Taylor, punter. Um, just an amazing display at Wisconsin the other day. Um, this year, 48.3 average, 19 punts, 50 or more yards, and 17 of them pinning the opponent inside of its 20-yard line, which is uh, really uh, really important and effective and a key component to this complimentary football. None of this shit would be working without Tori Taylor is what I'm saying. And uh, I, I found it um, really interesting to listen to his post game the other day, Scott, where he was explaining uh, how he knows if he's playing well. And, you know, even though he was getting pats on the back early in this season, he was not pleased with how he was hitting the ball. He's hitting it now, and he almost said it's not really a challenge for him much to <laughs> kick the ball and get it to back up. Because, I mean, and you know, when you watch punters, there are guys that can blast it, guys with really good hang time. He does it all. He can do everything at that position, and that I think that's what makes him so special. No question. It's just – you know, old timers, you know, old dudes like us, you know, that have been around and watched since the early 80s. I mean, there's this program especially, and I we deal with it on a daily basis. There is a tug of war between legacy bias and, reg- and recency bias. Um, as someone who grew up in this state and followed that team and watched Reggie Roby play, yeah, he still probably has a bigger leg than, than Tory Taylor, but he's not a better punter than Tory Taylor. And I know that's almost heresy. The only one that would be more than that would be to say somebody might be better than Bob Sanders as far as on the heresy scale with Iowa fans. But honestly, you know, they had somebody different punt when it was like when they were on the 42. They had somebody different punt because his leg was so big that they were just, it was a touchback waiting to happen. Torrey only has one touchback this year. And that was something that he needed to work on. Maybe the most impressive punt for me on on um, Saturday, Rob, was when it was on the it was fourth down at the forty three, and he hits that shot that that hits about the half yard line and looks like a golf shot. It's a thirty nine yard punt, so it's like, eh, you know, <laughs> when people start adding their all American teams, they're not going to really write that. But that shot was perfect. Now Iowa's defense didn't do real well, you know, on that first drive. But those types of shots that, that a guy can hit mean everything when you're talking about um, success and for him to do it over and over and over and over again and hit those, sh- you know, 50 move between 50 plus and inside the 20. Uh, it's a work of art. It's something we'll never see again. And we see, we've talked about this or I am, I know last few years that, Tyler Linderbaum, appreciate him because you're never going to see this again. Um, and last year, Jack Campbell. This year, it's Tory Taylor. You know, and then there are other sports too that we think of, like Luca Garza and, and certainly Caitlin Clark and Spencer Lee. But but when it comes to football, 
the next punter will not be the next Tory Taylor, you know, but I think you, <laughs> there is an appreciation for him deservedly. So, and I put him as my second in the MVP watch. I put Jay Higgins number one, but I think he's, uh, he's right up there. Yeah. Taylor would be for me, but I get the Higgins too. I think those guys are definitely one, two in some order this season. Consider that Wisconsin's starting average starting field position in the second half of that game Saturday was its own 13 yard line. Mm -hmm. It was the 15 yard line in the third quarter and the 11 yard line in the fourth quarter. So the average was 13. That tells you the value of Tory Taylor. Another guy who's been, um, I shouldn't say Tory's been at a high level, a player that is maybe ascending faster than anybody else on this team is Sebastian and Castro at the cash position. I had somebody ask me this week who I thought has been the best cash since the position was created. You know, we've got Amani Hooker, we've got Dane Belton, both playing in the NFL, and now we see Sebastian Castro. And all three guys are a little different, Scott. Yeah, that's hard to that's hard to you pick know. It, it would be hard to pick, and, and you can't put Castro there yet. He's got to he's got to get himself to where the other two are. If we're just talking about play at that position at Iowa, he's right there. I, I think all yeah. three of them are just really, really important, productive players that are essential to what Iowa does defensively with that position, which is why it was created in the first place. Yeah. Amani, you know, had more upside than all more. I mean, Dane's pretty athletic too. Um, You know, he's probably a a smoother player and he's a starter in the NFL and he's a quality, he's a high level starter. And Dane is more of a backup right now, but playing a lot of special teams and, and getting out there, and he's a he's a good player too. That's I will say this: what Amani did. Amani cut his teeth, yeah. kind of special yeah. teams back up, and moved his way in. So hopefully, Dane follows that same path. I think he has yeah. potential. I hope so. And then finally, uh, the difference is: I mean, they're different players. Sebastian Castro is. It's like if you draw up, what do you define? Give me a visual of what is a strong safety. That's him because he, he lays the freaking wood. I would say after Bob, he's probably the best at laying the wood for people. I mean, his hits are hot and they're physical. And, uh, you know, there was one, he broke up a pass. It was like out in the flat and he just leveled that. That ball went back 20 yards and um, just kind of an amazing hitter. And he's, he made some really impact tackles that weren't hits really either. They were just, they were on the perimeter. The, the runner was kind of, going up the sideline and he was able to to really stop them before they got a big gain and then of course you know the the safety was a huge play uh because he had a safety blitz forced the quarterback Braden Locke up in the pocket which allowed Y.A. Black just to (laughs) have a woo hit (laughs) and the ball's there and so overall this is uh it's really been an, an impressive run for him and I don't know, man. Fall into the ground <laughs> on on that. Uh, you know, they're up nine points. You know, know. why not take it the distance? But uh, he did the right thing, though. He kept himself out of trouble, and uh, yeah. Uh, you know, the problem is though, Rob, is we know is when you start to get all American teams, yep. that extra pick six is going to matter, and he's playing like an all American. You know, it's just and and being a part of that process. 
you know, it's right now, who are you going to take for All-American, you know, Cooper DeGene or or Sebastian Castro? I think they're both worthy, kind of like the Illinois guys were both were all three worthy last year. But you got to put one first. And if he would have had a second pick six, he might have been the guy. And I will say, in, in defense of Cooper, who did, gave up a rare long pass, he came back and made the stop on fourth fourth down on that series. Yeah. Too. That made an amazing play off the edge and, and uh, yeah. stopped Braylon Allen in the backfield. So huge play there. Yeah, that's going to be – it's going to be – hopefully they don't split votes in any way. I think Cooper has the name recognition, so that's probably going to help him. I just – I you can you can tell when a guy really prepares well um, and marries that with um, his ability and uh, uh, his his athleticism, and that's kind of what I think we're seeing with Sebastian. Those plays you talked about were him making tackles, you know, important tackles in space, you know, on the edge like that. He's in position because he's prepared. He's prepared himself uh, for what he's going to see, and and if you watch him. And, and I was watching him a lot on Saturday. You just watch his eyes and where he's looking and, and his preparation and his read and recognition is really, really high level. And then when you marry that, as I said, with, with ability, uh, you have a really good player. Yeah. He's putting himself in position to be in the league. And, um, you know, will he be a defensive back starting one? I don't know. But he's going to be a, a sought-after special teamer type for sure, because of his explosiveness. And then I think he could play himself into that role, you know, kind of like a different player, of course, but Geno Stone, you know, similar type of. For Geno, man, I I smile whenever I see him make a nice play on Sunday. He's leading the NFL in interceptions. He bet on himself. We talked about that on this podcast, whether or not he should go, stay or go. And he, he made the right choice. He made the choice. It took, it took some time, you know, got to cut a couple of times and, and now they uh, they they tendered him, and now he's going to be a free agent, um, and he's going to get a deal. He's going to get a decent deal out of this. So, um, but you know, Gino was kind of the you know he's a three year player at Iowa as opposed to a five, which is Castro, and that's probably if there's a defining difference between Hooker and uh, Belton and him and Castro is Castro is a five guy, and yep. there are three guys. Um, I will say this though, when we always go to cash that I had a conversation with Phil Parker, maybe a year and a half ago and uh, about cash, he goes, the best cash we would have had in bar, bar none was Desmond King. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, if we would have had that. He would have been there. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Desmond but, could have played a lot of different positions. Yeah. I think. Yeah. He's looking for a new home. He just got released the other day by the Steelers. Yeah, I so. saw that. Yeah. Hopefully sure somebody something. sees the value there. Yeah. Um, all right, Scott, I wanted to, before we get out of here, um, and get to our picks, I wanted to get some, uh, reaction, feedback, um, views of what the crossover at Kinnick was like. You were there, um, incredible event, Iowa women's basketball sets an attendance record at Kinnick over 50,000 people. Um, what'd you think? It, it was everything that you would expect it to be and more. I mean, to have 55,000 people there plus uh, was amazing for them. It was 
you know, the, the atmosphere was really cool. It was really neat just to see it, to see a basketball game with, on, with the backdrop of a, of an outdoor NFL or NFL, college football stadium uh, to see, you know, it was a chilly day. It was windy. Um, so that really was, was wild, but I think to see the excitement for the players and especially for Lisa Bluter, I think was just, it was special. And, you know, I talked to like Megan Gustafson and, and Kathleen Doyle who were there and, and they took it all in just the same way. Like they, and they felt a part of it and they rightly so they helped build this. And, uh, and so to, to have them come out to back in black and have, it was, was awesome. I thought the way that they treated DePaul was fantastic. Um, and Lisa talked about that in the, in the post game, which was that, um, you know, DePaul had, you know, she called him first, Doug Bruno, and, and partly because he, she knew he'd say yes. And also because he's always been at the forefront of helping women's athletics grow. And they of course said yes, emphatically, I think that to allow them to have their hype video play, and for them to be a part of it, because it's just as neat for them as it is for Iowa players. I mean, they're they're coming, you know, they don't they don't play even have a football team, <laughs> DePaul. Yeah. So to come here and play like that in this atmosphere, I thought was was awesome. And then, you know, for that for them to do all the the same things the football program does, the wave, the kid captain, and to compete. I, I it, overall it was really heartwarming to see and to see the just how much it meant to everybody. And at the end, I, I tweeted this picture of Lisa just kind of walking up the tunnel and all these fans are chatting her name and we love you, Lisa. And she just kind of goes like this and you can just see how much it meant to her because, you know, she talked about, you know, when she first started coaching, you know, that she's lucky if there's 55 people there, but now there's 55,000 and, you know, they're title nine babies and here they are now having this level of, of admiration. And it's not just Rob, it's not just like, Oh, let's go out there and support them for this one day. No, I mean, it is there and it's passionate and it's, and it's really good to see. Yeah. Excellent celebration. Um, Somebody, uh, I know Scott has a daughter. I have two daughters. It was cool to see that celebration of female athletics on a stage like that, getting national attention, uh, we saw, you know, how much attention the tournament got last year. Uh, Caitlin has certainly been a huge part of this. It's just great to see. You think about, and I know you've mentioned this before, we've mentioned this before in the podcast, when they had to lower the curtains at Carver-Hawkeye mm-hmm. Arena to what they did on Sunday. Mm-hmm. is incredible growth, and it speaks well to – hopefully the future and the opportunities that are available for female athletes. Yeah. Cause you know, it's not that far back when they had to do that. And, and we remember it well, where when, even if you brought up women's basketball, whether it was in a podcast like this or a radio show, it was kind of like, Oh yeah. You're just kind of like throwing everybody a bone on that. And that that's not the way this is at all. Um, and back then they were really good, but it was always kind of that, oh, okay, you know, moment. Not at all now. I mean, it is a, a there is more passion for women's basketball today than there is the men's team. I, I, whenever I talk to people 
Um, you know, and it, of course, football is the first, second, and third conversation. But fourth, it tends to be women's basketball over men's. It's just the way that they are right now. And, and I think this is when you look at what Nebraska did and you look at what Iowa did and you look at just all these markers, you know, from ratings going up and softball tournament, the women's softball college world series, um, you know, it's here to stay and women are important to that. But I think their staying power in large part is because of men appreciating it. And, uh, you know, it's a different style of game. It's different from, you know, men's game, you know, which is played a lot of above the rim, tall, you know, physical. This is a lot of passing and shooting and that kind of, you know, that, that to me is, is, it's very an interesting thing. It's, it was kind of funny. My wife went with a couple of her high school friends who are Iowa state grads <laughs> and they're like, uh, I've got to wear Iowa to this, but, but they're there because they wanted to see Caitlin Clark. They wanted to see Iowa and they, they, you know, they're, yeah, this a rivalry, but they want to support it too. And that's probably the neatest thing, Rob, is I, that I've seen is that a lot of the, the support is universal. Like I'll wear my team shirt root for them, but I also like and appreciate what they do for the sport. I've heard it from Ohio state, Nebraska fans, Iowa state fans certainly are that way. And then it it goes the other direction. I mean, let's face it. Women's sports fans are so much better than men's on this kind of stuff. (laughs) uh, For sure. Yeah. It's not like, Oh, we hate her because she's a Hawkeye. You know, it's, it's like, no, we appreciate what she does. And yes, we want to beat her, but we're also like, wow, that is an amazing talent. The tide is rising and all the boats appreciate it. Right. Yeah. It's kind of the way, the way it works. Um, If you want a chance to see the Hawkeyes, they are at home this Sunday for an exhibition game against Clark University. As far as I know, that's not sold out unless I missed missed an announcement on that. So um, some tickets should be available. Um, So a chance to get out there and uh, watch your Iowa Hawkeye women's basketball team this Sunday, 2 p.m., Carver Hawkeye Arena. So if you're in town for football and are staying over, maybe go over and Check out the Hawks. Get a look at Caitlin Clark. Uh, it'll be because the ticket during the regular season are going to be really uh, tough to get. You're yeah, going to end um, on the secondary market, and you're probably <laughs> going to pay a lot. Yeah. So you know the the big question is: Will Caitlin Clark outscore Clark? Yeah, that's <laughs> that should be. A, I, I don't know if there's any. You know, if the, if Bet Rivers or anybody has a, a gambling line, but that is certainly a, a prop bet that I think people should get on board with. Yeah, I just hope it's not a football player. <laughs> exactly. Or a wrestler. Um, yeah. Betting, gambling, wagering. That's a perfect segue, Scott, into yeah. our next section of the podcast. Um, Scott let me know that we were each four and two last week, which I'll take with uh, – I had been stumbling a little bit in recent weeks, so I'll take the four and two. Yeah, it was a, it was a good week. I actually lost the Iowa game. I picked Wisconsin. Um Gave the 10. Um, so I lost badly, frankly. Uh, we both lost, we both lost Rutgers. Um, and Rutgers, Rutgers was almost my, lost Rutgers. Yeah, right. They were down. Yes. Yeah, it was 24 to six in the fourth quarter. <laughs> and they came back, or 21 to six, I think it was. Oh, Michigan State. Yeah. Ugh. Good and luck then, this week, Sparty. <laughs> and then I, you took Maryland. Um, over Illinois. So, and that was minus 13. Illinois has been my thorn. 
inside <laughs> this year. I cannot figure that team out. Yeah. I, I think they're a weird team. I think they're a team that's capable of kind of going on a little bit of a run. I think you look at Isaiah Williams and, you know, the running back that Iowa really wanted, Caden Fagan, you know, and I, I think they're capable, but they're not good. I, I mean, picked them to beat Iowa this year. Mm-hmm. I'll probably change that prediction when we actually do get to that game. But uh, I always look for kind of one of those wonky type upsets because yeah. that seemed to happen to Iowa. And that was the one last year yeah. was Nebraska. I chose Illinois this year, but I would like to retract that. I chose the, this week's opponent and I probably won't have the same <laughs> result, but, but uh, I guess first things first on this week, uh, we've got Rutgers at Indiana. Rutgers is a five and a half point favorite. And if they win, they are bowl eligible. I'm uh, going to go will, with Rutgers. I, I am too. Indiana's pathetic. Yeah, I think they are. Tom Allen, I, I don't know the buyout specifically on him, but I think that's going to be uh, that's going to be a number a lot of people are going to have to start thinking about there. You know what? His hot be the his seat be the hottest in the Big Ten among coaches. I think yeah, it's fair to say Tom Allen's seat is on his seat is so high his pants are on fire. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know it's it's weird because I remember in the COVID year and he was. Um, and they were, um, you know, what, six and one, I think it was. Well, what did they come here ranked two years ago? Yeah, they were ranked high, higher than Iowa. I think they were 17 and Iowa's 18. Yeah, and, to start and 21. Iowa, yeah, and Iowa wrecked them. Yep. Completely, you know. Didn't even, you know, it was, it was, you know, Michael Penix. He didn't even get his mojo back till he had to go out to another Big Ten team, Washington. <laughs> <laughs> Big Ten West, West, yeah. West. West, West Coast. <laughs> Um, I'll save this one for a little later, but, um, Wisconsin minus two and a half at Illinois, you know, Wisconsin standard Mordecai is out for the season or at least for a while with a, you know, broken hand, Illinois homecoming 42 and a half for the, what's the spread on that Scott? Two and a half. Illinois giving. Yeah. Wisconsin. Well, no, Wisconsin's favored by two and a half. I'll take the points. So you're going to take Illinois. I'm going to take Illinois. I-L-L-I-N-I. I'm going to go with Wisconsin. Um, this, I will be, this will be a mess. This will be a loss for me again this week, but no matter <laughs> who I pick, it's the other team's going to win because it's, it's the Illinois game. Yeah. Well, this this to me is, um, you know, when I, when I look at this league, Rob, and I look at the Big Ten West, I think unless Iowa just completely falls apart, the only team that I look at and I'd say, I think they might have a chance to catch Iowa is Nebraska. And that's, but that's still way, we're still ways off. But, you know, it's they're funny one, seeing Nebraska kind of built like Iowa with no yeah. offense and, and leaning on its defense. Definitely right. a departure from, from uh, the frost warning. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll tell you what, you know, the last weekend of Big Ten West play ever would be prophetic if it comes down to Iowa, Nebraska for the, you know, to win the championship. I mean, it means there's something at stake. Yeah. You know, That's what we've been off. waiting for for how many years? Since 2011. You know. <laughs> you know, Finally. So through three years of Legends and Leaders, and <laughs> this will be the 10th year of, you know, geographic. But speaking of the mighty Huskers, they're at home against Northwestern, uh, and they're giving 11 and a half, and it's a 40 and under. That said, I'm going to take Northwestern. I think Nebraska wins outright, but I'm going to take Northwestern and the four and eleven and a half. I'm with you. I just I can't 
I can't in good conscience throw 11 and a half points with Nebraska's offense right now. Yeah, I just yeah. not, I think they win the game, but these games traditionally Northwestern and Nebraska have been kind of ugly field yeah. goal ish type games anyway. So I definitely think that that's too many points. Yeah. I mean, it's like every year it's like a, touchdown ish here or there and then then was, i think it was like two years ago it was like nebraska's only winning the big 10 and it was like 56 to 7 yeah and then then la- and then they went last year to ireland and the northwestern won that game and um here we go um at night the paul bunyan's trophy at stake michigan at michigan state uh 46 and a half is the over under and it's minus 24 for uh, the Wolverines, and I'm going to take the Wolverines in that one. I know it's a rivalry game, and you, sometimes you got to throw caution to the wind, but I'm not going to. I think Michigan's going to dominate this game. You mentioned it last week. Jim Harbaugh has a uh, has a tendency to run it up mm-hmm. when he can, and if he can this week in this game, he's going to run it up. Yeah. Give me the Wolverines. Yeah, I think this one could be 55 to nothing. You know, all serious. After watching that offense against Iowa, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna struggle. Um, the game of the week, maybe one of the top games of the year, um, Penn State at Ohio State. Um, it's oh, the Buckeyes are favored by four and a half, and I think I wrote down forty five and a half for the over under. This is a, low. Uh, for, yeah, the oh, number, yeah, but Ohio yeah. State's been they've been their offense has not been. Ohio State like this year, which yeah. makes sense. Yeah, they don't have C.J. Stroud or you know Haskins or any of those guys anymore. What would so. Marvin Harrison Jr. do on the Hawkeyes? Well, he would probably have ten <laughs> catches this year, and he'd be in really good shape from running down the field, going he'd like be, this. I'm open. Yeah, <laughs> he'd be a great blocker. <laughs> I'm sure he's he's physical, big, you know. Ugh. I will yeah. take the Buckeyes in this game. I'm going to throw taking... the four and a half. Yes. Okay. Yeah, same. Um, Drew Aller, I, I think he's got a real chance to be a great quarterback. He was awesome at Iowa, but and he's been on the road and won a couple of games, but they started really slow against Northwestern, and he was really inconsistent against Illinois. So I, I think that going there to that the Death Star in the Big Ten, I like – Ohio State to force some turnovers and uh, then and to win this game outright and, and cover. Finally, the one that we're watching, Rob, Minnesota at Iowa. Iowa, it started it, opened it, what, six and a half, and now it's three and a half. Yeah. Um, Heavy money on the Gophers this week. Yeah. We'll see what happens with the when the Sharks come in here tomorrow yeah. and Saturday. Right. Um, 31 and a half <laughs> for the over-under. <laughs> I'm probably going to still take the somebody under. say that's the lowest in like a really long time. Yeah. And yeah. Iowa was the last team that, yeah. <laughs> that was that low. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Iowa barely. I think I have like Iowa winning like 16 to 12 or something like that. <laughs> I'm, with, so, I'm with you. I think I have Iowa. I, I I haven't published my preview yet, but I think I have Iowa 17, 10, 20, 10, something like that, 2013, somewhere in that range. I think it's it's right around uh, mid-30s, probably, total. Yeah, um, if that, yeah. Low mid-30s, and uh, I think Iowa wins six, seven points, somewhere in there. Yeah, it's... <laughs> 
You just don't know. I mean, last year was 13 to 10. <laughs> I would have a much more difficult time if this would have stayed at six and a half. Yeah. That would have been a much harder pick for the year. I would have taken the Gophers. Yeah, I think I may have too. Yeah, I would have. I just I just don't have a whole lot of faith that Iowa can blow anybody out. I mean, I think they can hold people down, but you know, this is a this is gonna be a tough one. And then you know, 31 and a half, I still would take the under. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't know how you bet the over with Iowa right now, unless it was a in the in the twenties, high twenties or something like that. Then I might inch myself out there. Uh, yeah, take, well, uh, take it's one over. of those where where you might uh, you might miss one week, but if you bet the under like every week, I'd have to look and see what the numbers are. But if you bet the under every week, Rob, you've got to be ha- you got to be in the money big oh, time without a question. No doubt. You know, just constantly take the under and it's like a pipeline of money. <laughs> I'm sure it's frustrating for the odds makers. They're like, yeah. can we really go that low? Well, we got to go that low. Yeah. That low? Yeah, that low. Well, Have you seen Iowa's offense? <laughs> yeah. 31 and a half. Uh, you know, that, that, I don't know that they can go lower than that. Probably not. <laughs> You know, I mean, Northwestern, I don't know that I would, you know, I, I, I don't think much of Northwestern right now. I think they'll play Iowa hard and it's at Wrigley, but yeah, I don't know. If they win it, they're seven and one best start since uh, 15. So that's, that's pretty damn impressive, no matter how you look at it. Hawkeyes favored by three and a half, as we just said, for Saturday's game. Kinnick Stadium. It's a stripe. It's, it's a striped stadium game or whatever the heck they call it. So check out HawkeyeSports.com to find out what the hell color you're supposed to be wearing. Cause you don't want to be that person showing up in the gold section wearing a black shirt or, or vice versa. You don't want that. They can throw you out of the section and then, um, expel you from the game. No, they can't yeah. really do that, but you'll be, you'll be mocked and made fun of. And, and you don't want that on, on a game day. Yeah, especially with beer in the stadium. People, <laughs> it'll be more prevalent. <laughs> NBC uh, 2.30 Saturday, Paul Burmeister and Anthony Heron on the call. That's very cool. Uh, look forward to seeing those guys on Saturday. Yeah. Friends with both of those guys uh, from their time here. So really cool to see those guys uh, uh, ascend in this business. Both are very, very good at what they do. Absolutely. I talked to Paul yesterday. Uh, at, at length, um, not only about the matchup, but I'm writing a little bit about him for tomorrow, kind of in a catch-all cool. end of the week type thing. And he's excited to come back. Um, I think you know one of the things he wants to emphasize, and and Anthony, of course, will be the same way, is that they want to say, "Look, we're going to be impartial. We're going to be because prof- they are professional." I mean, he I would never, I, that thought never even entered my mind. To be honest with you, I know they have to guard against that because that's would be the I think the the perception of people. Oh, Iowa guys calling, it. but it's not going to be like listening to to Dolphin and Poe. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not at all. You know, and you know, and, and I understand it too. And I, I think you know it's probably more on the Gopher side. There, there have been fans that have you know, kind of hit me up saying, you know, how does this happen? And I'm like. Um, these guys don't worry about it. If there was somebody else, then, you know, no offense, but if like Chuck Long was doing it, then maybe you might be a little more leery, but Anthony, I'm like, Paul calls Notre Dame football. Anthony does primarily the bears and the big 10 at large, you know? Yeah. They, they bled black and gold, but they're, they're professionals. And Paul, I've been playing and 
you know, played for 30 years. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. And those guys do their homework. They'll be well prepared. They're going to yeah. be, if you're not that your Minnesota fans are listening to our podcast, but they will treat your team well and have the information and background and insight for both teams to make it a really good broadcast. I feel pretty confident in saying that. Absolutely. Most definitely. All right, folks, we appreciate you listening to the Hotspot Podcast. We appreciate all of our sponsors for helping support the podcast, and we hope you guys have a great weekend at the stadium. Be careful, be kind to each other, and Scott and I will be back to talk to you next week on the Hotspot Podcast. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.